Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. ask the Lord to move among us and strengthen us and honor what we're doing here this evening. What we're doing tonight is very biblical. Very biblical. We're coming together in the house of the Lord. We're to lift up and praise his name. And so I just want us to pray and ask God to touch his word. We can be seated and we'll take a journey if you will promise to stay with me till the end. Amen. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the presence of the Holy Ghost that we have been privileged to feel here tonight. And I ask you, almighty God, to just bless, as you already have, the, this first portion of our service, bless the remainder of our service. And let your word be that light and that lamp, O oh God, that David promised us that it would be. We pray for your strength and your help, and we just give you the praise in advance. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. and. You can be seated. I want to take my text this evening from the 15th chapter of Genesis. Um, But instead of just launching into the 15th chapter of Genesis, I want to maybe go back just a little bit and try to get some context. And um, no fear, we're not going back to Genesis 1, but we will just go back to Genesis 14. What do you say? Amen. And so in Genesis 14, to just kind of summarize this entire chapter, we find that a war has broken out. And in the course of this conflict, Abram's nephew Lot and his entire family and all that he owns has been captured. And uh, when Abram hears about this, the Bible says quite interestingly that he gathered together an army, but the army was an unusual figure is 318 men. 318 men were assembled to go and deal with this. And so they overtook the army. They rescued Lot and his family and all of his possessions and nothing was lost. And when he is returning, Abram and Lot and his family, when he's returning, he is met by the king of Sodom and Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And so they were bringing them something we might refer to as refreshment, something to strengthen them and refresh them from the battle. And uh, Melchizedek, at this moment, I think, uh, was trying to do the right thing, maybe. Maybe, obviously, I think that Abram sensed a little bit more than that. But Melchizedek attempted to bless Abram. And he said, I'm going to give you all the wares that you have taken back from the enemy. We're just going to bless you with that. But Abram refused to accept anything for himself, and he said, we're just going to let this go to those that have been the victims of this war. And then he went on to say, he said, I'm not going to take anything that is thine, lest thou should say, I have made Abram 
rich. And so if I take something from you, you're going to take all the credit and whatever I become, you're going to, you're going to consider yourself to have been uh, the catalyst for that. And uh, so that's how chapter 14 ends. And then the scripture just in verse 1 of chapter 15, in the aftermath of all of this victory, the Bible says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now what a wonderful thing if the Lord were to come to us in a dream or a vision with a powerful word like that. We would think that would be a significant period, a significant moment. And uh, Abram said, not in disrespect of what the Lord had just done or said, but Abram said, Lord God, what would thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him. I'd like to underline that sentence in your mind, and I'll mention that again in just a moment. The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, or count the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And that is the context of which we now see verse number six. So he believed in the Lord and he counted unto him for righteousness. In the aftermath of everything that we, we would call an unanswered prayer, God speaks to him and said, there's gonna be a blessing that's gonna come forth from you. And now just step outside. If you can count the stars, that's gonna be the magnitude of your blessing and he believed in the Lord. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? How am I gonna know? I need a sign. I need some kind of affirmation. Now, I understand, um, you know, petitioning the Lord and fleecing the Lord and things of that nature. And I understand the... Uh, the point of that, but I believe that we have to learn at some place in our life to take God at his word. But I'm thankful that we're serving a God that understands that at moments that fearfully and wonderfully made aspect of us just rises to the surface and we need the Lord to just underline a few things for us on a very personal basis. Amen. He said, I'm the Lord, I brought you out. But he said, how shall I know? How am I going to have an assurance that I will inherit this? And the Lord said unto him, and he said unto him, take me an heifer of three years old, a she-goat of three years old, a ram of three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took them unto him, all these, and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the birds he divided not. Now, I would surmise that in just the few scriptures we've considered here tonight, there's probably several sermons there's probably several things we could talk about. But I want to take some time to just highlight a few things out of this passage that we've read. In verse 4, I asked you just a moment ago to kind of underline a phrase in your mind. And I have full confidence that you did just that. 
The Bible said the word of the Lord came and the word of the Lord came. That's the first time in the word of the Lord in the scripture that we find this phrase that the word of the Lord came. However, that's not the last time. It is used over a hundred times just in the Old Testament that the word of the Lord came. That's a powerful thing to think about that the word of God would come to common man. I'm speaking before an audience of people tonight that understand what it's like to have the word of the Lord come to you. Whether that was in a corporate setting like tonight where we're worshiping the Lord in a song or in a testimony or in the preached or taught word of God, the word of the Lord came. Maybe the word of the Lord came to you in your own personal prayer where the spirit of God moved and he gave you an assurance, a promise Amen. I'm all, I also think it's important to underline the, the fact that in this sacrifice, the Lord asked of him, he said, I want you to get a heifer that's three years old, not just a, any, old, any old thing's going to work here, but we need a heifer that's three years old, a she-goat that's three years old, a ram that's three years old. I'm not sure how they kept up with all these birth certificates and the timeline of all of this, but nevertheless, there's a lot of specific instructions that are here. Three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old she-goat, a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then the scripture says that he divided them in the midst, and he laid one piece against the other. But then the birds he divided not. There was nothing arbitrary about this offering or about this altar. It was quite the opposite. Great care was given not only to construct the altar, but to construct the sacrifice. To go through the herd and find, I've got to know who or what is three years old among this. I've got to find, I've got to search out. I don't think that you could just walk out to the edge of the fence row and just lasso one or pick one and just say, that looks okay and that looks close enough. But somewhere, someone had to have some communication. There had to be some, some talking going on. I need something, these that are three years old, and I need this because we're going to bring something to God. This is what he has asked of us. Of course, this would not be the last time that careful attention would be given to things that we call altars. Perhaps one that would stand out in the minds of many of us here tonight would be the altar that Elijah built in 1 Kings chapter 18. In verse 30, the scripture says, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. It was broken down because the prophets of Baal before him had been calling on their God. They were waiting on a God to answer by fire. And in the process of trying to wake Baal up and get him to answer by fire, they destroyed what should have been sacred. But Elijah come, repaired the altar. And then verse 31, the Bible says that Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob unto whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be thy name. There's nothing random about this. We're gonna get stones, but we're gonna get 12 stones. And these stones are gonna represent someone, something. It's going to be significant. And with these stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. Now, I didn't just exhaust myself trying to find uh, what two measures of seed would be, but it's an obvious measurement. 
It's an obvious measurement. I, I, I did play around with this a little bit, and, and, uh, but the point is that there was a trench that was dug, but it wasn't just dug randomly. There was a, there was a size to this. You, we've got to get this right. And then the Bible says that he put the wood in order and he cut the bullock in pieces and he laid him on the wood and he said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And so I know that the story of Elijah, especially to this audience here this evening, is a common and a very familiar story. And so I won't exhaust all of the, uh, the elements of this story. My point is simply that we're reading about great care and great attention that's once again placed upon this specific spot because we're building an altar, 12 stones, a trench about the altar, wood, but not just randomly thrown, wood in order, a cut-up bullock, but again, not just tossed on top of the wood, but placed on the wood, four barrels of water. Several specific things are mentioned about the altar and other altars that are in scripture. And I believe that this speaks about the importance of preparing a place for God to move. There has just been a theme in my heart and in my mind for several months. And I, I just can't seem to stray too far away from it. And I, and I hope that my messages or my comments are not too overlapping. But I think it is so important that we create a place and an atmosphere where the spirit and the presence and the power of God can move. Amen. I, I really enjoy myself praying with music that's playing in the background. But I want music that is conducive to the atmosphere of worship. There's just something about that setting the tone of prayer. I believe that it's important that we create the right atmosphere. I believe that. Hebrews 11 and 7 speaks about Noah preparing a place for God to move. A place, the scripture says, an ark to the saving of his house. It's an age old story and perhaps one of the most familiar stories in all of the word of God. And if you're fortunate enough to have been raised around the church and in close proximity to the house of God or to the work of God, then there's no doubt that an, at an early age you started hearing the story about Noah and the ark. And too often I'm afraid that we consider the story and we consider that story outside of the context or the backdrop of the story. But when you look at the big picture, if we could not just zoom in on Noah and the ark and the work and the labor and all that went into that, if we could pull the camera lens back and we could see the big story, it would be a very dark and was a very dark and dismal time for the Lord and for mankind. In Genesis 6, chapter 6, verses, uh, probably the first one, maybe through about 7 or 8, the Lord became very disappointed, disgusted, if you please, with what mankind had allowed themselves to get into. And when I read about this and I look outside the window of our world today, I look how much the parallel, how much the parallel is in the mind, rather in the streets of our society today that man just seemingly does whatever they desire to do and somewhere somebody puts a seal of approval and says this is okay. And yet righteousness is referred to as something that's outdated and out of step and out of beat. I'm gonna tell you, 
just one more time, just one more time, I want to speak it into the atmosphere that there's nothing wrong with righteousness. There's nothing wrong with separation. There's nothing wrong with coming out from among them. Verse number five says that when the Lord saw how great the wickedness of man on the earth had become and that the thoughts, the inclinations of his heart, every waking moment was on evil day and night. It just seems like this is exactly where we are. In verse six, the Bible says that the Lord became grieved. He was brokenhearted. He said, I, I'm gonna destroy both man and beast. And he said, I just wanna repent that I have made Man, I just want to repent. There's a there's a horrible backdrop behind the altar and behind the ark and the building of the ark. Behind everything that's going on in Noah, trying to build and redeem and save and try to cry aloud that there's a better way. There is a very dismal and a very dark an ugly backdrop. And this is where we get to verse eight. And it's here that we say, in the midst of all of this, or that we read, in the midst of all of this that the Bible says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I wanna tell you today that it is a very dark and dismal time, but I'm thankful for the grace that's being found in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. I, I, I want to tell you that we got to get away from Fox News and CNN News. We got to get away from everything that's on the internet long enough to realize that everything's not going downhill. But God is doing some tremendous things in the very day in which we live. Hallelujah. In verse number 9 through 22, we have the account of Noah against the backdrop of everything that's going wrong. There was a man, Noah, that was leading, that was leading something leading a, a, a leading a hope amen that was leading and bringing a light to a dark world that there is an answer it begins I believe with an in-depth look at his life and in his family and then it transitions into a very detailed plan of how God said this is what I'm going to do to bring mankind out this is going to be my redemptive plan the Lord told him again you're familiar what kind of wood to use how long how wide how high to construct the ark seal it within and without in other words God was saying this amen he wanted to move and God said I'm going to move but I just need somebody I need somebody to make me a place create me an atmosphere in which I can move I'm going to tell you that today tonight tomorrow and the next day God desires to move and I'm going to say he's going to move God desires to move and he's going to move and here's the wonderful thing it can be in my life and it can be in yours it can be in my home and it can be in yours it can be in our church Hallelujah. But I want to make sure that we are preparing an atmosphere and we're creating a place where the spirit of the Lord is welcome to walk up and down every aisle, interrupt our plans. He's willing to he is he is welcome to elbow us out of the way and have his way in our midst. Amen. This was no small task, of course, to for Noah. And the Bible doesn't specifically say how long it took Noah to build the ark. We do first hear the mention of Noah in Genesis 5 and 32. When we're introduced to Noah, he's 500 years old. 
And when he built the ark, or, or at the time of that, he was 600 years old. And so I, I don't know how long it took, but somewhere in that span of time, amen, God commanded Noah to build the ark, and he moved. That's what's most important. Not how long it took, but it's most important. And so this evening, my point is pretty straightforward. Noah desired a move of God, and God desired to move that they just needed to come together on some common ground. I believe that today that God desired to move in this service tonight. And I believe you're here this evening because you desired for God to move in your heart and to hear something and to feel something, to have some sort of reassurance. Hallelujah. And we come into this house this evening. Amen. I was just a, a few minutes late for service, but when I drove up, I could hear the music through the wall. I could hear the singing and the praise. I'm going to tell you, not for the sake of this sermon, but it did my heart good. And it only got better when I walked in the side door. It only got better as our praise and worship went on. I'm thankful. I'm thankful to be able to walk into that kind of atmosphere at the risk of what this may sound like again but I've told my wife countless times throughout our marriage that I just love to walk in the house at the end of the day and smell something cooking it reminds me that she anticipated I was coming home I left this morning but she just fixed the meal It reminds me that she anticipated me coming and that I was welcome to come, even though the door was locked. Amen. I was glad that I could come in. To be honest with you, it makes me feel special. It makes me feel considered. Amen. I know in a perfect world, that doesn't happen every day in case you're thinking that, you know, we, it's a little house on the prairie. It's a long way from it. But nevertheless... We live in the same world you live in, so all the dots don't connect every day, but just every now and then it all comes together. And so I feel special. His name was Thomas Edward Baudet. He was born February the 23rd, 1955. He is an American author, a voice actor, and a radio personality. Since 1986, he has been the spokesman for the motel chain Motel 6. He always ended his commercials with the phrase, I'm Tom Bodette from Motel 6, and we'll leave the light on for you. However, like many things, there's a backstory. In 1986, Tom Bodette was building houses for a living in Homer, Alaska. He was also just a part-time, small-time, contributing announcer on national public radio. But there was a creative director that worked for another major company that heard him on the radio and he hired him to record a commercial for Motel 6. And so they came to the studio and they're sitting down, they're putting together their plan and while recording, Tom Bodette on his own ad-libbed the now famous line and we'll leave the light on for you. Of course... It caught on like a firestorm, and it has been, and he's been the spokesperson ever since. And here's what the director had to say about that. He said when he said that in that recording session, he was so convincing because he sounded like the type of person that would actually stay at Motel 6. He didn't sound like a hired hand. He didn't sound like somebody that they just brought in for the moment. 
but his voice and his demeanor, his approach, his thoughtfulness to just interject and we'll leave the light on for you. It was so welcoming that in 2005 they decided that they would start using his voice for wake-up calls because they wanted his, their guest to not just hear some robotic announcement or hear the hurried or the rushed voice of somebody that's tending the front desk. But when they wake up, they're going to wake up to the same voice that welcomed them the night before by saying, we'll leave the light on for you. Motel 6, of course, um, I'm not being sponsored by them, by the way. <laughs> but I do have a point. That the, the phrase, we'll leave the light on for you, if I could just put it that way, that's the common man's statement. I mean, most of Americans got the message. They understood that. We'll leave the light on for you. It was, it was like a, just, just a, most the common person, they just said, we, we, we get that. We understand that. It was their way of saying ahead of time, when you get here, it doesn't matter. The light we is going to be on because we have anticipated your your arrival. And I I don't want to embarrass my my son or da and daughter in law tonight, but I, I just want you to, to know this that uh, that when they know that we're going to be arriving home late at night, they always come over. We never ask them to do this; they just do started doing this on their own, and they turn on the outside, the porch lights, the garage lights for us, and they turn the lights on and and. And I, I, I want to tell you, it's a pretty good feeling when you're getting home at 1 o'clock in the morning. And, and uh, I'm, I'm telling you, around here it can be dark as Egypt, ever how dark that is. <laughs> I've never been to Egypt, have no desire to go. I've heard that my whole life. But when we round the corner and the lights are on, it makes us realize that somebody anticipated us coming home. They thought about us coming home. We'll leave the light on for you and, and we have told them privately many many times how much we appreciate that I think you all have enough intellect to know what I'm driving at this evening and that is this that we need to have a place for God to move and, and when his spirit I don't ever want the Lord to feel like he's not welcome here I don't ever want the Lord to feel like he's intruded on our plans or, you know, we're, we're trying to work around him and if we could just somehow shoehorn God into what we're doing. No, 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 we want God to move and if we can shoehorn our plans around that, then that's what we're gonna do. Amen. But I, I will say this, that, that, we, that when Noah built the ark to the saving of his house, we realized one thing, it wasn't just his house that was saved. It was the animal kingdom that was saved, but others also had a chance to be saved. Amen. And so when God... God, when we have a move of God, it doesn't just move for us. It doesn't just work for us. It doesn't just fit for us, but it does something, amen, for others. I'm, I'm appreciative of that. I'm thankful tonight to know that, that somebody thought that we need a church here. Amen, I'm thankful that somebody said, long before I came along, there should be a church right here. Amen, and so when I came along, there was a church. It was a, a church where the Holy Ghost could move and prayers could be answered and lives could be touched and Change. I'm thankful for that. I imagine. I would just imagine knowing humankind as I do, and as maybe we all understand to a degree tonight, that when Noah was building the ark, maybe somebody said, "Do you really think it ought to be that 
long. You think it ought to be that wide. You think it ought to be that tall. You think this is overdoing or you think this is enough. Amen. Let me remind you of something that was, that, that was something beating in the heart and the chest of Noah that was larger than him. And that was what the scripture refers to in Hebrews 11 and 7. By faith, by faith Noah, amen, being warned of God as of things not seen as yet. Not seen as yet. He was building something that was perhaps larger than he could have anticipated. Greater than he could have ever anticipated. It wasn't because of what he could see, but it was what he felt in his heart. The scripture says that he moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, and by that he condemned the world. His faith was greater than his unbelief. Hallelujah. The Bible said he moved with fear. That word fear means to be circumspect or righteous or reverent. In other words, he was a man that was on a mission. You can tell when somebody's just walking leisurely and you can tell when somebody's going after something. They've got a purpose. They've got an intent. Hallelujah. Noah understood something that you and I have got to get a hold of and never let go and that is the importance of creating an atmosphere for the spirit of the Lord to move in. A heart and a mind. A spirit in our own lives for God to be able to move. Amen. We don't just walk in the doors of the church and, and as a custom, certainly would do this if we felt led of the Lord to do it at some point, but we don't just walk in the doors of this church and just go straight into the preaching, the teaching. If I may be so bold, especially we would not risk that on a Wednesday night. Amen. When many of us, including me tonight, slid in under the wire. Our minds are 14 other places. It's okay to say amen. And so if you sat down at 7.30 and at 7.31 we said open to the book of Genesis. About 7.37, I wouldn't have you. You'd be in la-la land. You'd either be sound asleep, literally, or just drifting. Because we weren't prepared. We weren't ready for that. Amen. Some of you are just scared to even respond. You're just <laughs> staring. <laughs> but it's the truth. It is, really the, it is really the truth. And so that's why we hopefully begin with prayer. Prayer in our home. Prayer before church. Then we're going to have a season of praise and worship. We're not doing this so that we can show off the wares of musicians or, or singers. We're not doing this so that we can just perform. No, no, no. We're trying to create. All of these people that are up here singing and playing and participating in the service, they stepped out of the same world that you and I stepped out of. Things were just as hectic for them, but they realized it's important. They were Noah. That's what they were. Amen. Tonight, you know what? We had a bunch of Noahs on the platform. They were building an ark. They were creating something that can raise us and lift us. They were creating something that's greater than us by faith and by fear or reverence. They said, we're going to sing unto the Lord. It wasn't because every time, every service, every night, I don't know about tonight, amen, but not every time, every service, every night, that they're just burning inside. I just got to get this song off my heart. Sometimes they're taxed and sometimes they're weary and sometimes they're stressed and sometimes they're sick and sometimes they've argued all the way to church. We just might as well say amen. That's not the half of it. They're going to finish it on the way home. But in the meanwhile, in the meanwhile, we're going to praise and we're going to magnify the Lord. Hallelujah. Because we need some Noahs that are bold enough against the backdrop of everything else to say we've got to build something that's bigger than us. 
Noah wasn't the first and he certainly wasn't last, the last person that moved with a mission. Exodus 15, the Lord, Moses said, the Lord is my strength and my song and I'm gonna, I will prepare him a habitation. I'm gonna build a place. He was perhaps referring to the temple. I'm gonna build a place where we can lift up the, the name of God. I'm gonna build a place where we can exalt his name. Hallelujah. We have been privileged <clears throat> Most all of our ministerial life, we have been very privileged because of evangelism and other things to be able to preach in, in many different settings, church settings and, and a lot of church plants and, and, and new works. And we've been in all kind of places. Let me tell you, amen. And I, I just from little storefronts to, to wherever in prison ministry, our, our, our people have learned how you've got to minister sometimes upstream. All kind of things are going on in the background and bells are ringing and all things that Maybe going on, but there's something in our heart. We've got to build a place. There's something significant. We say here and now is where we're going to do this. Jacob, he put a rock in a sandy desert and he poured oil on it. It didn't look anything like we would call a house of God, but the Lord, but the Lord moved. <laughs> he moved in that place. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Something about that special place. The very first time I ever preached away from our home church, I was so privileged. It was very unexpected, but I was so privileged to be able to minister for the first time away from our home church in Potts Camp, Mississippi. We had gone, as a matter of fact, to our very first conference, my wife and I and my cousin, his wife. We had traveled together to, to Alabama and then went on to Mississippi to spend the weekend and, and to be in in a service with Brother and Sister Wilson and out of the clear blue he asked me to minister in their church that Sunday night and uh, we were there and, and the Spirit of the Lord uh, was so kind to us in that moment and that, that afternoon he said I want you to go with me and I, I, we're going out here to pray and I had heard about uh, Brother J. Frank Wilson had a place behind his house just a little path and we go down this path he said this is where I go and this is where I pray every day and he went out behind his house down this little path and there was just a big log that had fallen and he had prayed it was a well worn path and there was no grass it was obvious somebody went there on a very regular basis and one very special thing was there was a, a little chair that was sitting there to the side maybe a chair that would have been somewhat like that when it was new but the back and the seat had rotted away long ago and it was just a metal frame that was sitting there and he said years ago that brother Witherspoon had been with him and preached and he had knelt at that chair and he had prayed and amen if you don't know who brother Witherspoon is just do a little research amen a tremendous Pentecostal pioneer and he said I just never wanted to get rid of the chair and so the frame of that chair there was something significant we were out in the middle of nowhere but I'm going to tell you God honored that you know why because a man said this is where I'm going to meet with God to some it was just a fallen down tree to some it was just an old rusty metal frame of a chair but I'm going to tell you to a man of God it was said this is where I come when I need an answer this is where I come when I need to talk to my Lord hallelujah it didn't look like much but I'm going to tell you he said this I dedicate this spot I dedicate this place I wouldn't take anything you hear me tonight I wouldn't take anything for that moment almost 40 years ago of going out in the place where a man could say it don't have to be much it just needs to be a special place it don't have to be fancy it just needs to be somewhere God and knows he can come and meet with us. Hallelujah. Oh, how important it is for us to create a place for God. 
Oh, for God to move. Amen. Oh, my goodness. I know along this line, I've mentioned Moses before as a baby, or really the mother of Moses. Who, when she heard the word that all the males would be, would be killed, she said, i got to do something to save my baby. And she, like Noah, moved with faith and fear, created a little miniature ark, set it in the Nile. It didn't look like much. Maybe some saw it floating down that old river and didn't know what it was. Maybe some never gave it a second glance. But what they didn't realize is that the salvation of a nation was riding in that basket. Because a mother moved with fear and said, I got to do something. It didn't just save her son. It didn't just save her family. It saved a nation. And so, when we think, well, what are we doing? And does it really matter? I want to just climb on this roof tonight and scream, yes, it matters. Yes, it matters. Yes, it matters. Amen. Yes, it matters. Because we're giving something to God. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. I, I realize that we've been talking a lot about literal, physical places. And we know that Genesis 1 opens with the Spirit of the Lord moved. And I'm going to tell you that unequivocally God didn't just move one time in Genesis 1 and stop moving. God is always moving. He moved as a cloud by day, a fire by night. God has moved in special ways and I don't want to drift too much here this evening but I can just use my wife and I and I'll leave you out of the equation but I don't think we're the only ones but through the years God has done some special things where we felt the wind of his purpose blowing in our life we knew this was God this was God and you know God when we say God provides, how many would agree? God provides. Sure. Because we've experienced the provision of God. But sometimes the provision of God can so not match what we think is the provision of God. Last night my wife and I were watching uh, a video of some former missionaries that um, we're now stateside and due to just the story's too long but just circumstances they, they didn't have a place to live just temporarily and the missionary's wife says but, but God provides she said now let me be clear when I say that God provided us a place she said we moved into my mother and father-in-law's house and they had a two-bedroom house. And we moved into their house and there was one bed and a pallet on one side and a pallet on the other side. 
And there was our whole family crammed into one bedroom. And so sometimes when we say God provides, it's not a crystal palace. And if we're not careful, we can curse the moment and miss the promise that God did provide. They weren't in the weather. (laughs) They weren't on the streets. God provides because we make room for him in our lives. They're not still living in that bedroom, by the way. Amen. Bigger and greater things were in their future. But God had a place for them. And so when we say if we'll create a place and an atmosphere, God will move and God will provide our needs. Sometimes if we're not careful, we'll overlook the provision of God because it doesn't match what we have in our mind. But God always provides. Malachi said, I'm going to send a messenger. He was speaking for the Lord as a prophet. I'm going to send a messenger and this messenger is going to prepare a way before me. And we can read right over that and not understand that this passage of scripture was was quickly followed by 400 years of silence and darkness. And so a lot of people could say, well, where's the messenger? Where's the person to clear the path? And where's that person that's going to pave the way? But one day, somebody heard the shouts of a madman we come to know as John the Baptist. Prepare you the way. So no matter how much time lapses between what God promises and what we experience, if we'll continue to make room in our life for God to move, he'll keep moving. And he'll keep speaking and he'll keep stirring. Amen. I don't want to disappoint you. I'm going to ask you to stand. I don't want to disappoint you tonight, but I haven't remembered every sermon I've ever heard. but I've been so blessed by every one of them because a little bit of every message stuck in my heart. Just a little hope. Amen. Just a little hope here and there. I was at the pharmacy today and and, uh, nowadays that can be a pretty frustrating process. (laughs) So I was just determined that I wasn't going to be like half the other people in the line. and I was just going to try to, you know, I didn't speak in tongues or anything, but I just wanted to get in and get out. There was another lady that was standing there, and I could tell she was just trying to do the same thing. She's just trying to get through the day, just trying to get through this moment. And uh, so we both got called to separate windows about the same time. I was just a little bit ahead of her and had given my name and things of that nature. And then I heard her step up. She came to the other window. We had already talked a little bit in line. And and uh, so she said, your name? The lady asked her, your name? She said, Boyd. She said, B-O-Y-D. And I looked over at her. And I I just said, that's my name. And she said, you spell it B-O-Y-D? And I said, yes. So she said, I'm going to get my husband. And so we both got our prescriptions about the same time when we stepped over to the side. She 
called her husband over and she said, his name is Boyd. So they were asking, where are you from? And we we're trying to connect any dots and there were no dots to connect. And so the man said, uh, I was standing there with a suit on and he said, uh, you mind me asking what you, you do for a living? I said, no, sir, I'm a pastor. He said, oh, well, I can tell you I'm a long way from that. And I said, well, I've got good news for you. He said, what's that? I said, I'm hope. <laughs> I'm here to offer you hope. I want to reach out to apparently my lost family. <laughs> There's always hope. If we'll just look around, hope is standing right by us sometimes. If we just keep a place, a ready place, a, a place that always is ready for the Spirit of God to move. He can move. I'm going to tell you something. Some of the most powerful moments that I've ever experienced with God have not been grand meetings, but it's been sometimes what we wouldn't perhaps even deem grand. But because somebody said, we're just going to make a place for the Lord, we're going to create something right here. And we're going to say, God, you've got right, a right. We want you here. You're a welcome guest, our special guest. Amen. Let's magnify the Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.